0: I'd like to um to offer to share some Dharma reflections. Um, I hope you can hear me. Yes, okay, good. So do let me know if uh if at some point it gets uh too quiet or not clear. Um, and I'll do my best. Sorry, of course, I haven't got my headphones in. Sorry, Louise I am recording it. yeah I am record i am I am recording it um, externally and uh, and i'll I'll send you I'll send it to you, Louise, so that you can pass it on to also to people who are not here. No problem. So I was, um, I was wondering if anyone uh, noticed anything interesting about uh, smiling while you were meditating. It was, it was the first meditation of the day, it may seem very long ago. Um, I don't know if anyone noticed anything interesting about that. Yes. And you're welcome to either um, write it in the chat, which is in the bottom left-hand corner, or to um, yeah, or to unmute yourself and to speak. Are you able to unmute yourself? Ooh. Great. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, and, and what was it like when the smile was there? Mm. Yeah, yeah, beautiful yeah thank you and in either in either situation it would be interesting yeah whether it feels different because we know (laughs) from reading that it it should be different or whether it actually is yeah yeah thank you steve you wanted to say something ah caroline says she can't hear anyone but me Anyone else having that issue? No. Well, nobody else, yeah. Okay. Okay, Jill can also not hear. Okay, I'll repeat, I'll repeat what people what people share in that case. Um so the the response now was um that it was very interesting to have that um instruction to smile and um and it felt lighter, uh, even though um, it's not clear if it felt lighter because there was actually something in, the, in that experience or because of reading about the fact that there's a connection between what the facial muscles do and the way uh, the, the mind, the brain, then responds uh, in this case. Um, but certainly feeling it was interesting enough um, to repeat uh, but very easy to forget (laughs) yeah very very easy to forget to do okay so we've had steve who wanted to speak steve are you able to unmute yourself and then also karen Steve and Karen, are you able to unmute your, yourself in order to speak? Yeah. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Karen, I'll just repeat what Karen said. Um, is that it? Felt like uh, it felt nice to smile. It felt joyful. Uh, but then, if the smile stayed, remained, was maintained, um, then it got. Uh, it felt a little bit more like a. It became more like a grimace, and felt. And, and as it was fading, yeah, and then, come kind of reinvigorating the smile, uh, brought joy again. But it just seemed to be this this movement um, of over time, it fading, and then becoming uh, more rigid. Uh, so, yeah, very, very interesting. So I don't know if anyone else wants to add anything uh, to that. I'm always interested in people's experiences. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, I, I'd like to speak a little bit about what's behind this and kind of open out and elaborate it a little bit. Um, and... You may have had no, you know, nothing happened, it may have been an unpleasant experience, it may have been pleasant. Um, all are possible. Yeah, so someone else is adding that they find it difficult to smile and feel natural. Yeah. Yeah, so it's something to play with, this gentle smile, and for me it is helpful to remember the the expression on the Buddha's face. Um as a as a kind of uh support for that. Um but why do it, you know, and what happens when we do it? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, so I'd like, to bef- I'd like to go into it from a slightly different angle, which is from a completely different field. Um, has anyone here um, done the um, Couch to 5K app? Worked with the Couch to 5K, fi- okay, several people. Um, do you remember... I can't remember when it is. It might be week two or week three. But it actually depends which one of them you worked with because you have a choice of trainers. <laughs> but um, on week two or three, at least one of them suggests to um, tell yourself as you're running, to tell yourself as you're running that you are really enjoying it. And that you're actually loving it. Yeah. And I really remember this. This has really stuck with me because um, I was actually enjoying it. Like I said, it was probably week two or three. It was pretty early on um, in, in the process. Uh, but it, I, I really loved that part because it, it is a direct application of some of the teachings <laughs> um, of, of the Buddha. Um, of playing with perception okay so seeing what happens yeah i'm doing something like running yeah which may be unpleasant and hard and difficult and i might be feeling exactly the opposite from enjoying it yeah or having a good time and then what happens when i tell myself that i'm actually enjoying it with some conviction yeah so it's a suggestion to play with perception and see what happens. And and a lot of physical exercise um, coaches and trainers use that. Yeah. Smile um, when it's difficult. Yeah, smile when it's difficult. So in in um in in our tradition, you know, when Tik hand suggests to do this, um, he's not waiting for things to get difficult. He's just saying you know, how about trying out a little smile as you're practicing and seeing what happens, yeah, and seeing what happens because we're kind of working often with building up a certain uh, capacity. And in this in this uh, particular example, we are um, playing with perception, yeah, very gently, playing with our perception in ways that are conducive to our practice, yeah. So... um as has been said, um, nowadays, yeah, this is kind of uh, something that was discovered several decades ago I think already, um, if you tell people to, to pretend to smile, yeah, what that actually does, it activates the part of the brain that are associated with the emotion that usually we have when we smile, yeah, so um, kind of points to this complexity. Of our Of our being and the complexity of our experience, um, but also some things that we can do with it, so our tendency, yeah, the human tendency is very much to believe things to be a certain way, yeah, so running is hard <laughs> and sweaty and unenjoyable, yeah, for example, yeah. Or when I'm sitting and meditating, that's really serious business. Yeah. My partner, Nathan, used to sometimes say, you know, sometimes we sit and practice and the expression on our face is really grim. It's really like, you know, we're really trying really hard. Yeah. If we look at our, at, our, at our faces. And so we kind of, we have these ideas, we have these views around things and we we kind of believe them we believe that things are a certain way yeah and that um and that's really that's the fact yeah and it can be about anything yeah it can be about uh, myself you know i'm like this yeah how many times in our lives have we had that thought i'm like this i'm not like that i'm this sort of person i'm not that sort of person um Or this is the way this is, you know, this is the way this is, this relationship, this dynamic, this planet, whatever it is, yeah, so we have this tendency to believe things to be a certain way and yet experience, yeah, yeah. our experience, our perception, yeah, all of all of the appearances of our lives that make up our experiences are actually put together, actually fabricated, constructed out of many causes and conditions. Many, many causes and conditions. Most of them causes and conditions that we don't notice. And some of them causes and conditions that are very much to do with our own minds. Okay. Does that make sense to people so far? Yeah, so we take things to be a certain way. We take them to be um, fixed in some way and we forget. Actually, this is conditioned. This is constructed. This is, um, you know, the word I like to use, fabricated. Yeah, put together, made up of different elements. And part of that is to do with our own mind. So recently there's been um, a whole new field of research called gastrophysics. I don't know how many of you have heard about it. It's it's one of my uh, recent favorites. And um, this particular researcher called Charles Spence uh, from Oxford who's done a lot of research about it. He's also written a couple of books. And he's actually, I think, coined this term gastrophysics. And basically what they look at is how um, other factors, other conditions impact our experience of food. So they've done a lot of, like, what I find quite kind of quirky experiments, come up with quite weird data. So, for example, did you know that um, if someone served you a piece of cake on a white plate, you would find it sweeter than if it was served on a black plate? for example. Yeah, we didn't know that, did we? <laughs> or if a friend invited us for a meal and served the meal on a, um, on a table that was covered with a tablecloth. yeah, Most people would rate food served on a tablecloth as um, tastier yeah, and would eat more of it than if it was served on a table without a tablecloth. So here's a tip for when you were allowed to have dinner parties, <laughs> and so um, they, they have all these like different. They've done all these different um, experiments around this, and um, so Charles Spence he says the pleasures of food reside in the mind, not in the mouth. Okay, in the mind that takes in data from different senses. In this case. Yeah, the visual sense, also they've done stuff around hearing and around smell. And that affects our perception of the taste of what we're eating. So something as neutral, you know, something that we tend to see as neutral and objective as that. You know, it tastes good, it, it doesn't taste good. It's, it's this degree of sweetness and not that. Yeah. It's actually affected by the color of the plate, whether there's a tablecloth. Um, what kind of music is playing in the background, all kinds of other conditions. And that's why we say, <laughs> that's why the Buddha said 2,600 years ago, um, anything in our experience is a complex appearance. Yeah? And our perception itself is not reliable in the way that we take it to be. Yeah? We don't perceive things in um, separately from our own mind, independent from our own mind, yeah? which is itself then affected by various other things. So perception itself, not neutral or objective, um, and nothing actually in life is not neutral or objective in the way that we take it to be. Yeah. And we can see that in so many areas of our lives, yeah so many areas of our lives how uh, what we pay attention to uh, how we pay attention also impacts what we experience so we've had this game going and some of you have been to the online to the guy house online dharma hall we've shared a lot of this there this game of playing with language um, around this time when all this language has come up around um covid 19 yeah Social distancing, lockdown, isolation, yeah, all this language that actually the language itself impacts our experience, yeah, it colors we also had it here today, right, with perseverance yeah, if if we understand perseverance in a certain way, if we have a certain connotation or image to it, that will then shape our experience, what we hear, yeah, how we take it so playing with perception through language, for example. So talking about compassionate distancing as opposed to social distancing makes a real difference. Talking about, um, you know, I I call it involuntary self-retreat instead of isolation or lockdown makes a difference to the experience. And here where I am, I've, I've been, you know, playing with this a lot. I like playing with perception. It's one of the things I enjoy doing. I uh, find it really helpful. Um, so right now in, um, in this part of the world, it's very hot. We've got a crazy heat wave um, going on. And um, I was just reflecting earlier today how I can take, you know, this discomfort of extreme heat, yeah. Which we can say, oh that's that's objective, that's neutral, it's just uncomfortable, right? But I can take it and still play with my perception around it. And I'll give two examples. Yeah. So one one of them is when I feel the limitation of this extreme heat. Oh, you know, we have to stay indoors, can't really go out, um, in the middle of the day and you know, it's, it kind of dulls the mind, it's really not, not very nice, you know, and I can get kind of like, mm, really grumpy and unhappy around it. Um, if I think of my Muslim friends who need to, to fast through this now, yeah, because it's Ramadan, it's the last week of Ramadan, and they're fasting in this condition, um, then I can feel a lot of appreciation, actually, for the human spirit and what people can do when they really um, have dedication towards something. So that can be a different way, you know. I can broaden out my vision and see it in a different way. Um, Another aspect of this is that um, I only found this out a few weeks ago that one of the neighboring buildings to the one that we're in has got a swimming pool. But it's only for the people that live in that building. And I have a real image. I saw it from the 10th floor, like from a neighbor's apartment. So I have a real image of that swimming pool in my mind. And of course, when it's very hot, I get the image of wanting to go there and not being able to. Um, But then here's an opportunity to play with this. So I can stay in my own experience, yeah? I can stay in the fact that there's a swimming pool just across the street that I can't go to and feel, you know, sorry for myself. Or I can imagine the people who can go into that swimming pool going into the swimming pool and how nice it is for them, <laughs> yeah? And there too, yeah, the habit would be that would make me feel worse, yeah? Because they can go there and I can't. But what if I shift... Yeah, I shift the emphasis of my attention. This is where it gets really interesting. And you can, you can try it out yourself right now. If you think of something, some joy or some pleasure that someone else has and you don't. What happens if you shift the emphasis of your attention? Just like in a grammatical, um, you know, in the way a sentence is structured when you shift the emphasis. Um, if you shift it from the fact, from who has that joy to the joy itself. Yeah, so I don't know how hot it is in, in the UK right now, but uh, not very, so think about something else. <laughs> or imagine yourself in, a, in 40 degrees, knowing there's a swimming pool, and imagining people in the swimming pool enjoying themselves. What happens if you really f- kind of really go into the joy that they're feeling instead of the fact that it's not me? And I can see at least one smile. <laughs> What happens, interestingly enough, is that for me, I become joyful too. Yeah, when I shift the emphasis to the joy rather than who's having it, then it actually becomes accessible to me, even without going in the pool. It's really interesting. Yeah, really, really interesting. So, what can we learn here? And and this isn't about cheap psychology. Yeah, as I said, this is the Buddha was talking about this. Um, a long time ago, about the capacity to play uh, with perception, the capacity to bring understanding around the way our experience is created, to play with um, the range of suffering and well-being in our lives, to play with that range. So instead of fixating on who's got the swimming pool, <laughs> I can um, ask myself, yeah, what happens with when I play with where I place attention and what can I learn from that, yeah, what can I learn from that, where I place attention and how. So today in the practice we were also exploring different ways, yeah, different ways of attending to experience. Yeah, welcoming the breath was one, yeah, and allowing it. Yeah, and welcoming um, pleasant and unpleasant sensations in the body. That's a way of paying attention. It's a frequency we can tune into. Um, Other ways we were playing with this today was, um, you know, in the last meditation we did, just really emphasizing, the stabilizing, the grounding, and then the spaciousness, yeah? feeling the space in the body, and the space in awareness, the space around the body, and tuning in to whatever felt nourishing at that time. So we have you know, different ways that we can um, place attention, yeah? that we can kind of tune attention, different frequencies as well as choosing where we turn it to, to the pleasant or the unpleasant, to the joy itself or to who's having the joy. And we have strong habits around this, really strong conditioning. uh, That's human conditioning. It's not even our personal one, a lot of it. But this is, again, what we've been learning from the Buddha and from this tradition, from Dharma teachings, that we can Um, increase the pliability and the flexibility of the mind. The fact that we have habits isn't the end of the road. It's not the final word. We can learn new habits. We can increase the sensitivity. We can increase the pliability. We can increase the flexibility of our minds. So what we pay attention to and how we pay attention impacts what we experience. We have ways of playing with that, of changing that, of exploring that. And this has huge implications for our lives. Really huge implications for our lives. And huge implications for the world that we share. Incredible implications. So kind of training ourselves, encouraging ourselves to ask, important questions. What happens when I tune in to the support of the body? What happens when I tune in to what is nourishing in experience? What happens when I turn to experience and highlight that capacity to welcome and to allow? What happens if I just remember? The way I'm relating to experience right now is just one way, usually a habit. I just remember that. What happens? And we can ask ourselves the question, what could be another way? What could be another way to look at this? We're looking for um, ways of relating to our experience that can bring more ease yeah, and, less, and less contraction, less suffering. There's the possibility of that. And one thing, I'll give another example that's um, coming up a lot with people I speak to in these times is guilt. I don't know if anyone here has, has felt that, the sense of our privilege, I see some heads nodding, the sense of our privilege and the knowing that um, others haven't got the privilege that we have, yeah? They may not have access to a, a good health system, they may not have access to a safe place to be, they may not have enough food, yeah? And so we know all that, we feel that privilege, And often, for many of us, what then comes up is a sense of guilt. Um, And I was really looking at that for myself um, quite a lot and and also hearing that from others. And something, uh, I'm not sure, I hope I'll be able to articulate it, Um, something that was coming up for me is, can we take that sense of privilege and and respect it, honour it, yeah? and also feel what we have, yeah, with gratitude and can we feel that maybe that others don't have what we have, with compassion um, and with some, I would say, kind of with some sense of what needs to be done (laughs) around inequality and injustice. Um, But can we also take care with that? Because sometimes with that sense of guilt that comes from privilege, we actually uh, forget the power that people have, that other people have. And, And I'll just give an example. So for me, one of the things that's really been striking for me during the pandemic is that I have received so many phone calls from my unprivileged friends. Yeah friends in India yeah, who um, live really simple lives yeah, and don't have access to a health service. Yeah. Or friends in Palestine, the same kind of situation. I've received so many phone calls from them and WhatsApp messages and emails uh, where they want to know that I'm okay. Yeah. Where they want to know that I'm okay, that my family is okay, yeah. and I think sometimes, and I'm getting a shiver as I'm saying this. I hope I'm, I hope I'm conveying this really, like I, I'm managing to get this across. I could feel for myself that in that sense of guilt, I, I take away the power of the other, yeah, because it's as if, um, it's as if that's what. Yeah, that's what life is about, or that's what the human spirit is about. And again and again, feeling that, meeting that with others. They don't see me as privileged and them as underprivileged in in that situation. They see us as friends, and they care about my well-being, and they care about the well-being of others. We had a call a few weeks ago with friends in Palestine uh, where many people joined from around the world and what our Palestinian friends wanted to talk about was how how the other people were doing (laughs) yeah how is it in your country how are you yeah so somehow holding that complexity and not forgetting yeah when we get into that mode We are privileged, I really don't want to deny that. There is privilege in our lives. We're fortunate. But it doesn't mean necessarily something about the other. And if we can kind of see that fine line and feel the privilege in a way that doesn't take away our own power and doesn't take away the power of the other or their beauty, or the greatness of their spirit. So remembering this, remembering that we can explore and play with our perception whatever it arises around. Yeah, whatever it arises around. And, um, and remembering the possibility to continue to work for what really matters. Yeah, on every level, on every level. So there is inequality in the world that we live in, yeah, and there is injustice, and there is prejudice, and there is destruction. Yeah. And so can we play with perception, yeah, not just to feel good, yeah, but in ways that deeply nourish wisdom and compassion in our own being? and in the world that we share? Um, Can we play with perception? Can we explore the modalities of paying attention in ways that we can transform the structures of ignorance in ourselves and in the world that we share? Transform the ignorance of oppression and of prejudice and of injustice. And can we remember that you know, when we nourish wisdom, when we nourish compassion, when we nourish joy and gratitude in ourselves, and these are survival skills for our times. Yeah. They're survival skills, not just for us as individuals. And when we keep them going, we're keeping them going in the world. Yeah. Keeping them going in the world that we share.